Thanks for listening to the GCC Sermon Podcast. We'd love to meet you for worship on Sundays at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Celebrate Christmas Eve with us at a Christmas Eve candlelight at 4 or 5 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Visit georgetownchristian.org for more info. Merry Christmas, Georgetown Christian. Hey, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, the basis of our series, the reason for the season, the fulfillment of prophecy. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means, audience participation, it means God with us. God is with us. Thanks be to God that he's with us. Last week, we talked about how um, we may enjoy God on the mountaintops, but it's in the valleys that we get to know God intimately. But a mountain has a valley has generally another mountain. And today we're discovering that there's also a time called the wilderness. That's where the valley just doesn't end. And we find the truth today in Scripture. You can turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 16. It may take you a while to get there, so go ahead and start turning. We will learn that your deepest need becomes a gift when we choose to depend on God. So before we go to 1 Kings, you guys can be turning there if you like. I want to tell you about a couple uh, but it starts with Linda. And Linda grew up in the Midwest. She might have been your next door neighbor, but Linda was the kind of girl who had a family that was centered around Christ. They would attend worship together weekly. They would often be found in Sunday school and sometimes even outside of Sunday morning, they might be serving or otherwise participating in the life of their church. Linda wanted to marry a guy like her dad. She would have never said that when she was 15, but when she was about 25 or so, she started realizing the truth of that reality. So Linda is in college now, and she's pursuing what she hopes will be a successful career as an ultrasound tech. It's in college that Linda meets the man of her dreams, and his name is Ken. Their first date, they're walking through her hometown park, Summer's giving way to fall, and uh, the sun has turned the leaves a little more orange, not quite brown, so it's beautiful when he gets down on one knee and in a place that had a great deal of meaning to her, asks for her hand in marriage. Her dreams are coming true. It's such a happy time in life. They lead uh, their whole family and friend group to a beautiful wedding ceremony in which all of their family and friends agree. This is a great marriage. They're fulfilling all of the dreams they've ever had for one another. Her husband began his career, and a year later, she finishes college, and Linda begins her career as an ultrasound tech. But eventually, that mountaintop experience of completing college, falling in love, starting a career, getting married, it begins to enter a time that's more like a valley and if you have ever traveled this valley, this is a really hard time of year. Well, it was the same for them because the valley turned into more of a wilderness. It didn't appear that there would be a light anywhere in the valley through which they together were traveling. And that wilderness for them was the struggle of infertility. I know families here who have struggled with it. We had those struggles in our family as well. 
Maybe not the same as your struggle. I don't mean to say that. But it's the kind of struggle that's so difficult because it isolates you from the very people who are trying to love you. People who want to say, oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I can't wait to tell you about our new baby, whatever. And they realize at the same time it's causing you pain. And so they can tell you or they can not tell you. And whatever they do, you feel pain and they feel bad. And there's no right way to go about it. And there's no way for someone to feel good when the dream that you've had your whole life of a family Christmas, just your family, when that dream is actively dying in front of you. When what your hopes are, when you come before the altar and join your life to a spouse, are to then go forth and multiply, are just stumped, or so it seems. It is horrible for Linda, because a career that she thought would be a dream come true is now a hospital house of horrors. As you can imagine, she's an ultrasound tech. So she's sitting here with a monitor, and there's a mom with a baby inside, and there's a husband. And as she moves that ultrasound around on that belly, and they see that beautiful beating heart, well, then mom starts to glow, and dad is just filled with joy. And sometimes they even cry because they're so excited. Well, you know, sometimes, sometimes Linda started to cry too, obviously for a different reason. And always behind a plastic smile, because she's shielding not just their hearts, but her own. Because she's so tired of trudging through the thickness of grief, and that wilderness has zapped her hope. The wilderness is like a valley, only in that it's really low and it's really dark, but unlike the valley, there just never seems to be another mountaintop experience where you get to see and feel and experience the Lord like you had before. The place of the wilderness may be like a place of, of wandering. Will there be hope ever again in my life? And maybe you're walking through a wilderness, maybe it's not infertility, but maybe you're walking through a wilderness at a time that the world, and specifically the church, appears to be moving towards something that's extraordinarily hopeful, only you're in the wilderness, and you're not necessarily feeling that hope. Maybe you're living between the tension of a job offer at a place that might value you, more than you're currently being valued in this job where the pay is almost making the bills, but credit cards are kind of making up the difference. And this one where it looks like we could maybe let go of the credit card, but it might also mean moving. And so you're stuck in that tension and that difficulty of deciding, do we move forward with this decision? Maybe you're stuck between deciding that I, I really would love to have an extended life. And so I want to take this treatment, but so many people I know who've gone through the same disease, they've said, I wish I would have never taken that treatment. It extended my life, but my life became horribly, horribly meaningless. It was, I was just constantly at the hospital because I was sick all the time from the treatment itself. And you're stuck in this wilderness between the two of what on earth do I do? Maybe for you, it's some it's some mystery of success. And you're stuck in your own small business of, do I continue to serve the clients I have at the level of excellence I always have? Or do I develop a new line of business that's going to be critical to bring our staff to where they need to be? 
And it might mean that the client service drops off. And so you're stuck in this wilderness of not knowing what to do and never really feeling like you could move forward in the difficulty of decision making. Maybe for you, you're stuck in a different wilderness where you wish this guy would take us from engagement to marriage. And it's Christmas and doggone it, it needs to happen right now because I'm sick of waiting. Guys, if you need some tips, you should ask her. That's your tip. Maybe you're stuck in a different kind of wilderness where the school system or the university doesn't seem to understand the sort of predicament that they put their students in. And it appears like they don't actually care. And so you just have to live through the pain of the difficulty that, man, they don't clearly don't understand what's happening. They've created a disaster. And for you as a student, it's a wilderness that you never think you're going to get through. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 16 if you haven't already. This morning we'll see a widow find out that our deepest need becomes a gift when we learn to depend on God. We're going to observe her response to some different difficulties that come into her life amidst her wilderness life. And we'll see that your deepest need can become a gift if you depend on God. So I want to do just a little bit of background for this. And for some reason, like I am definitely going to drink a water and there's no good way to do it. So we're just going to have a drink of water. But I'll tell you guys, we're going to start in chapter 16, verse 26. We want to do just a little bit of background on this widow before we launch into um, her life. And the background that we're talking about is really of like a national nature. So her her background would also be Elijah's background. And uh, the background that we're getting here is regarding two people. The first person being um, the predecessor to King Ahab, his father, and first Kings Chapter 16, verse 26, says this about his father. So when you hear these words, imagine this is the national situation for a a country that's split off from Judah. It's had about a half a dozen kings up to this point. And this is the father of Ahab that we're hearing about here. For he walked in all the way of Jeroboam. And when you hear Jeroboam, you need to think... um, Hitler, yeah, think Hitler, really extra, extremely bad, maybe Mussolini, so you got some options there, but if you want to think really ultra, super bad guy, it's way worse than Tom of Tom and Jerry, it's, or Jerry, either one, they were both naughty, it's like super extra next level bad, and that was his dad, and it says, for he walked in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in the sins that he made Israel to sin, so he made Israel sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by, say it with me, Georgetown, by their idols. That's the critical piece here. This is sort of the spiritual and the national setting that we're trying to put ourselves into. So not only did Ahab's father commit terrible, atrocious, evil things, but It was Ahab's father who bought the land that became Samaria, and and then he began this construction of this false temple, and then he, he began inviting in all of these other idols, all of this pagan worship. He began mixing it together with the worship of Israel's 
true God, the God that you and I worship, the Lord God. He began mixing all of that garbage together. That's sort of the setting that we're in here. He's the one that ushered that all in and said, this is a great idea, guys. We should all do this. You can understand now why a Hebrew would really, or a Jew or an Israelite would really not like a Samaritan, though they would hate them. It started here. So this is now 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 33. And we want to remember, this is the son of the guy we just talked about. His name is Ahab. And it says, I just pulled one verse to try to summarize what he was like. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel before him. And that would be at least a half a dozen. That's a lot of people. So his dad was bad, and Ahab was extra bad bad. He was horrible, terrible bad. He was like Musa Hitlerini. That's probably a thing. So Ahab, he's so bad. This is a great way to put it. He's, He's so bad. Ahab is so bad that if you were to read a summary, a brief summary of 1 Kings, there could be 18 kings mentioned. But in one of the summaries I read, he was the only king that was mentioned. And it was for his wickedness that he was mentioned. He's a bad one. So that's sort of the world that we're dropping into. That is the world in which this widow is living. That is the the king, the nation, and then the the king to whom Elijah is prophesying. So we're now moving on to uh, Kings, 1 Kings chapter 17, if you would find chapter 17 in yours, and we're going to meet our widow, our widow who is a witness to the fact that God is with us. Georgetown, with me, say it. God is with us. And we know that, and we say that, and we think it, and sometimes we believe it, but what we're going to get to explore is whether this widow in her wilderness, sometimes we have to see it in someone else's life, in her wilderness she sees that God is with her. So Elijah, he's the prophet, he has told Ahab that there's going to be no more rain unless Elijah calls for it from the Lord. There will be no rain unless Elijah calls for it. So now, that's not made him real great friends with the king. And so while he is a prophet of God, that doesn't mean he is invincible. He does not, in anywhere in the story, ever get to stay in a Hampton Inn or a Holiday Inn. He mostly stays at, uh, well, where he's coming from is a brook. He was in a ravine next to a creek, which I think sounds great, until you have to live there. And he's fed by a raven who brings him bread, and he drinks from the brook until it dries up. And then the Lord tells him to head to our main character this morning. He says, Elijah, I want you to head to a widow in the, ne- in the town of Zarephath. Easy for me to say. I want you to head there, and this widow, she is going to feed you. And I am curious if Elijah thought this was like an upgrade or a what are you thinking, Lord? Because <laughs> he was eating from birds that dropped him food and drinking from a stream. Regardless, Elijah faithfully follows the Lord. He enters the city gates. He notices the widow to whom God sent him to to be fed by her. He notices this woman, and she's gathering up sticks. She's just picking up sticks. If you've ever done it, it's backbreaking work. It's really not fun. You would really prefer a servant to do it. It doesn't appear that she has a servant. It would seem that gathering sticks means that she's destitute. We just don't know that yet. 
So approaching the widow, Elijah says, "Uh, woman, give me some water to drink and give me some bread to eat. And here is the woman's response. We're in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 12, and it's a little window into the wilderness in which this woman is living. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and what, Georgetown? And die. So now we've got a little better glimpse into the life of what this this widow is experiencing. She's living in a wilderness of hunger, of destitution, of it. I caught a hint of she's picking up the sticks. Did you guys catch that? She's picking up the sticks, but she's going home to do what? To feed her son. We don't know. Was he just a lazy, deadbeat dirtbag? We have no idea. He could be sick. We don't know. But she was the one having to pick up the sticks to go and cook their food that they may eat it and die. These words may be hyperbole. They may be facts. We have really no idea yet. But we know that she, in addition to the mouth of her son, now has the mouth of Elijah to feed. And remember, this is in the midst of what is already a very difficult life for a woman who doesn't have a husband in a culture that demands a husband for income and for identity. So she's just a nameless widow who's gathering sticks to cook her last meal. We don't know yet if she really knows this God that Elijah knows. Elijah says to her, verse 13, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me, from what you have, and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not be run dry until the day of the Lord. The day the Lord sends rain on the land. What appears to be absolutely certain starvation today may become salvation for this widow. Elijah shows that the the Lord God is the Lord over the drought. He's the Lord of the rain. Uh, Elijah shows this widow that the Lord God is the Lord of the whole country. He's the Lord of Ahab and all the kings before him and all the kings to come. He is the Lord God of that. And now the widow is about to find out that the Lord God is the Lord of her daily specific need for flour and oil, that she might just exist, that she doesn't have to die. Maybe, maybe, Maybe here you will see, maybe here the widow will see that in in our deepest need, we could find a gift if we choose to depend on God. But life isn't done dealing this widow difficulty as those of you who've read this story before, you've been through the kings before, you know that the difficulty is not over. Her son becomes sick. But it's not ibuprofen and Sudafed and allergy pill sick. It's ambulance sick. It's hospital sick. And they don't have either of those. 
So his sickness progresses into illness that progresses into taking his last breath. This widow's already in the wilderness, and now her son has breathed his last breath. Exasperated, I imagine her screaming at Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? And Elijah takes the son to the room above the house. And Elijah lays him out on Elijah's bed. And Elijah lays himself out over the son, and he cries out to God three times, God, restore life to the son. God, restore the breath of life, the nefesh, to this son. God, you are the Lord. I want you to restore this life to this son. And the woman who has witnessed Elijah's Lord, Elijah's God, be the God of the rain and the drought, be the God of the country in the face of an evil king after evil king after evil king after evil king. The God of the rain, the country, the king of her daily specific need for flour and oil. And now you know the question she's asking. If you yourself have walked through the wilderness, you know the question. Is God the Lord of life? And this widow is just waiting downstairs and she can't help but ask that question. Is God the Lord even of life? And what God does as she hears the boards begin to creak and feet come down the ladder, she sees a second set of feet come down the ladder. And that day in that wilderness, that widow has a son come back from life and she knows because of the life of the son that God is with us. Friends, if you're in the wilderness, maybe you're walking through a wilderness that is so dark that you cannot imagine hope. Friends, I, I wonder if your deepest need could possibly be a gift if you choose to depend on God, God with us. Ken and Linda continue to trudge through the wilderness for what seems like forever. Like cruel dictators, they force their hearts, as fragile as they are, to continue marching through fertility treatments. The wilderness of pain and the wilderness of uncertainty and the wilderness of hopelessness drives them to depend on God. Through the holidays, without happy announcement, their deepest need drives them to depend on God. Through more bad news, their deepest need drives them to depend on God. Through no clear hope, through no good news, through only bad news, their deepest need 
drives them to depend on God. Would you bow your heads? In the wilderness, we will begin to question, God, did you bring me here to die? God, will I ever experience another mountaintop with you where I know that you're real, where I feel your presence? God, I'm just groping and crawling through the darkness, begging you for survival. And I need to know, like Israel who waited 400 years of silence, like a widow who suffered through the wilderness until she saw you, like you and I wait for, beg for, pray for hope, We wait to see if God is with us in our wilderness. And God says, maybe you're limping through the wilderness. Maybe you've entered into a valley that seems like there's no light, no hope, no one at all to grab your hand and say, come this way is the way out. Friends, if that's the wilderness that you're walking through, that you're sitting in the middle of afraid to move ever again, It is your chance to experience the sun. It is your experience to, it is your chance to experience that Jesus is God with us, but only when your deepest need becomes a gift because you have chosen to depend on God. This morning, if you have never placed your faith in Jesus if you have placed your faith and you have accepted him as savior but you have been denying him as lord you have said I would love fire insurance but I'm all done with obedience he's calling you this morning to repent father would you move in the hearts of your people this morning to accept your lordship over their entire life. Father, those who are your calling to be yours, would you draw them this morning to place their faith in you? Father, I'm praying that not by their will, not by my words, not by anything but your Holy Spirit prompting this morning, that you would move them to accept your lordship in their life, to accept the salvation that we receive by your son, Jesus. Because there's no other way, Father. We are widows in a wilderness without hope for our next meal, without any hope for life to be restored to ourselves or our loved ones, and we acknowledge that in the wilderness, in our deepest need that your son Jesus is God with us and that he is a gift that we can receive when we choose to depend on you. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.